Hello and welcome to Play Loose. Look tight. Documenting the process of life after. I'm your host, Daniel McQueen. Welcome to the pod. Welcome to the pod. Still loving that new intro, so thanks again, Joshua. That's a banging way to start this this episode. So today we're doing a different style podcast episode. The title of this episode is "Before Life Before, During, and Afterwards." Uh, it's going to be looking at myself in those three time periods: life before, during, and afterwards. We've got three different people I'm going to interview. And rather than split it life before, 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 during, 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 after, 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 I'm doing it in one shot. So one person will do all three. And this is for a number of reasons, but the first being that it's going to be a lot less editing for me. And kiss is my mantra, baby. Keep it simple, stupid. So that sounds right up my alley. But the second reason, and probably one that sounds a bit better, is that it uh, is going to give you a better perspective on the person that's being interviewed. What their perspective is on me, who they are as a person, what their relationship was with me. I think it's much more complete if I do it in that way. But again, probably mostly uh, that sounds like a, a lot of editing. And the structure of this episode is going to be different as well. So I'm in the process of moving back to Vancouver. Well... I'm moving back to Vancouver in September. Tickets are bought, bags are packed, ready to roll. Well, tickets are bought, bags are in the process of being packed, not ready to roll. So I'm spinning lots of plates right now is what I'm trying to get across. And it's a lot of stuff kind of going on. Trying to keep this podcast rolling, but also respect the fact that, you know, I'm trying to move back to Vancouver and I've been living in London for the past nine years. And there's a lot of crap that I need to deal with, so... That's why there's going to be a break in the podcast. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to to break this down into two parts this episode. And that's really to honor the, the interviews that I did with people and to make sure the episodes aren't too long. Uh, they're going to be longer than normal, but that's kind of the way this works, right? I'm just trying things out and seeing what works best. If it doesn't work, if you don't like it, that's fine. But we're going to try it out and see how it goes, yeah. Longer form interviews today. Uh, and the next episode, that's to honor the interviews and to kind of make sure you get a good feel for, you know, the connection I've got with that person and, like, the relationship we've got. And just, you know, these interviews mean a lot to me and they kind of showcase a lot about how things were before, during, and after the injury, which is kind of important to me to give some context. So that's that. So it's ironic that, you know, we're doing a two-part episode on me when the last episode was called Ego is the Enemy. And this seems nothing but egotistical. Yeah. What are you going to do, man? It's my podcast. But yeah, in all honesty, I think this is a key to understand, you know, where things were at before, during, and after the interview. And, you know, if you're not, if you're going to listen to any information I give you as, as uh, helpful or information that could be useful, you're going to bind to me as a presenter. And like, if you don't do that, then why listen to me, right? And yeah, spinning plates. So let's meet Andrew. Or let's do a quick intro into Andrew and then we'll dive into the episode. Yeah. Ciao. Yeah, it's a great interview here, and again, great perspective on me before, during, and afterwards. Now, Rogers is someone I've known since high school. 
really good friend of mine. Uh, we lived together in university for a couple of years. We traveled around Southeast Asia and Australia. Lots of good memories, man. Lots of good memories with this guy. Uh, and this interview is going to be going to break off or break into the interview process here and understand, you know, who I was before, during, and afterwards. You can get some perspective on, like, you know, how who I was before the injury. I know a lot of people have met me after the injury, and you know, sometimes it's come up like, "Well, who were you before the injury?" And it's funny. I had a conversation with Andrew today, and he was talking about the football last night, and he said, "Yeah, I left to to avoid, uh, you know, any riots or shenanigans after the football loss." And he goes, "Oh, Andrew goes, yeah, that's, you know, Dan from that's Dan from thirty-five. You know, he's much more mature." Dan from 25 would have been all of in there. I'm like, well, you know. And I responded back with something pretty profound. I wrote, Rogers, I lived, I lived many lives. This is how I'm playing this one. So, but he's right. I mean, I, I've, I have ebbed and flowed over the course of my lifetime about how I respond to things and how I would be in certain situations. So, this episode is to kind of give some perspective on that, like who I was before, during, and after the injury to give some context as to who I was as a person and who I am now as a person and where that differs from how it was before. So it's enough of me blabbering on. Here's Rogers. Um, I'm going to offer an expression and a hack on the episode or any part of the episode. I think because I've got a whole bunch of these expressions and hacks and uh, might be an extra little incentive to stick around for the different episodes or different parts. Maybe. I don't know. Again, fast and loose. If this sucks, you know, politely tell me. Uh, I'm trying this stuff out, though. Like That's how I'm trying things out here is just, is just like, see what works. And if it works, great. If not, um, iterate, move on. Like, it's not the end of the world. I'm quite happy to, to take a run at this and take a stab. And if it fails, then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to take the stab. I don't at least get the attempt in, which is kind of the main thing for me, right? The the KPI, the key performance indicator for this podcast is just like, just try it out. That's what I'm aiming for. It's like, just try it. Just try. I say in my talk, just try it. It's the most important bit. And that's kind of what this podcast is, right? Like, it's just, just trying it out. The at-bats of success. If you get up to the plate and you like taking a swing in it, that's a measure of success. Not like if you hit a home run or whatever, you get on base. Pardon the baseball analogy. I don't really know baseball that well, but you know that's hopefully something that everyone can gather. Um, so we're gonna go for that. Anyways, that's enough rambling. Here's the interview from Rogers, and I'll catch you on the side, John. Well, welcome to the pod, Bud. How are you doing, Rog? I'm doing well, Danny. How are you doing? I'm pretty good, thanks, man. Uh, so as we talked about, I uh, want to have a short little chat with you today about uh, life before, during, and after the brain injury. So maybe before we start, maybe if you could introduce yourself and how we know each other, that would be helpful, Raj. Yeah, hi, my name is Andrew Rogers. Uh, I had both the pleasure and the misfortune of sitting beside Dan in uh, grade 11 social studies class uh, and have been a close lifelong friend of his since and benefited from uh, the amazing individual and social connector that he is. Boom. And we also lived together in university, traveled throughout Southeast Asia and Australia, 
essentially a lot of my like raucous years were involved Andrew Rogers. Would you say that's a fair statement? I would say that's a very fair statement. The formative years for both of us <laughs> were formative. tightly intertwined across many continents. Yeah, I remember um, when my mom first met you, she goes, this is a Raj? I'm like, that's a Raj mom, Andrew Rogers. <laughs> so you were like an Indian guy. Pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, not a not an uncommon uh, circumstance for a parent, you know, growing up in uh, Vancouver, a very multicultural city. Uh, usually a Raj is uh, a little bit different than a um, white Canadian kid uh, with parents from the prairies. Andrew Rogers, yeah, yeah. this is a Raj? <laughs> like, this is a Raj mom, yeah. I don't think anyone really calls you a Raj anymore, do they? No, uh, my new nickname at work is Rajero. As uh, one of my good friends at work is uh, Mexican, so he likes to put the Spanish or sort of Latino flair on it. Ole. <laughs> All right, Raj. Well, um, maybe we can dive into things. I'd like to to kind of get a snapshot of like from your point of view about before, during, and after the injury. So maybe if you could just speak to me before the injury, like who I was as a person. If you have any stories or things you want to share about that, and then just kind of progress through, and we can kind of build this up together, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so before, uh, life before the injury for you, Danny, was always interesting because you were, um, you've always been such a, an active guy and such a social guy uh, and then just such a, a positive person. And so that's how we first kind of really became friends um, because I wasn't at the time close friends with you or sort of with any of the people in your social group. And you really, we hit it off right away as buddies, but also then you really kind of brought me into a wider group of friends. And so I saw you, how you interact um, uh, in that environment. And so it's something that I always admired about you as a, a personality trait. And from there, uh, as you kind of alluded to, we, we started spending quite a bit of time together, became very good friends through high school, went on to university together at uh, University of Victoria, uh, where we lived together uh, on a few occasions. Uh, and then took off on some world travels too, to uh, New Zealand, Australia, and Southeast Asia. Uh, and so I, I think just like really more than anything is, you know, with those traits, uh, you're just uh, being an adventurous guy. Like you, you also came across as just, uh, you know, like um, a very normal individual uh, at that time. And just somebody who was very um, uh, motivated uh, and, and curious to explore. And really kind of up for anything and like our time in australia i thought really represented that like uh yeah you I know you remember tell this. your story about that yeah i know you remember this danny but we you know there was so there was four of us uh dan myself and the two other friends from university uh and we really did the surf bum trip where we landed in australia and basically within a few hours bought a station wagon off some guys outside the train station and went and bought more surfboards <laughs> went and bought four surfboards uh, and then just started driving up and down the coast looking for surf spots uh, and we really didn't know much about surfing or driving on the other side of the road no, uh, or Australia and this is kind of all pre uh, pre smartphones access to Google stuff like that so we kind of we had a surf guidebook we had a Australian yeah, guidebook was pretty key eh 
It's very key. <laughs> I don't know. Like our whole trip was based on this like guidebook we like picked up with like some like surf shop or something. It's like surf spots in Australia. I remember it was especially key when the, the very first time we went surfing because we were just outside of Melbourne. So we had to drive a bit and we just got the surfboards. We were really excited. We went and then we looked up. We're like, all right, let's, on a map or something, let's go to this surf spot here. And so we went and it was tough surfing. So we did okay, but we had a lot of fun for a few hours. And then we got back in the car and we opened up, we got our new guidebook, which we hadn't really looked at carefully. And in it, it said that the largest great white shark ever discovered was discovered off this beach. <laughs> And it was yeah, in that yeah, moment yeah. I was like, we're going to pay a lot more attention to this book. <laughs> yeah, this is certainly something we need to take into consideration of. I remember that that was yeah. stressful. We like saw that. I think there was like a mounted shark, no? Like that we saw too. We drove by it. I don't remember that part. I mean, it probably was. <laughs> After that, I was on shark, shark watch like crazy. Yeah, yeah like there. I mean, those days were, uh, they were pretty special. Um, and uh, like, you know, kind of your sense of adventure, Danny, like, I don't know if you remember, but when we, we eventually had to switch station wagons to one of le much lesser quality, um, but a lot bigger size. So we had uh, our own kind of boat of a vehicle driving on the road. Um, and if you remember when we went surfing, there was one beach we were at for a, a couple of weeks that we used to really like, but it had a very steep um, uh, road going down to oh, the beach. Water yeah, water goes exactly, mm -hmm. and then a steep uh, uphill that you had to go to leave. And our uh, our vehicle was really struggling at that point. Um, this old Ford Falcon <laughs> station wagon was probably about four hundred thousand kilometers on it, or maybe like eight hundred thousand. Who knows? They turned back that dial so many times. No doubt. But in order to uh, for us to leave the beach, we would have to take a running start at this hill. So we would go all the way to the far end of the beach parking lot, which had a bit of a hill on the other side. And we would start the car jamming down the hill and we'd be bouncing around and we'd rip through the parking lot and then we'd go up the other side with the big hill. And by the time we got about a third of the way from the top, everyone who wasn't the driver had to jump out and push the car to keep it moving so the momentum didn't stop and it didn't die. And then we just had to push it right into the intersection at the top and hope nobody was coming the other way. So those are the kind of memories that I remember just... <laughs> couldn't stop laughing from either having fun or just fear of this car is going to explode while we're riding in it. <laughs> yeah, there's some serious like driving experience we got in that in Australia, man. Driving across the country was pretty cool. But it was a great, it was a great trip, man. I really enjoyed that. Like we didn't really get very good at surfing to be honest. Like we caught a few waves, but by no means were we pros by the time we left there. And we surfed for probably three, four months. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. I remember, uh, and like one of the last few times we were surfing before we're heading on to Southeast Asia and stuff like that, we thought we were getting pretty good. And then there was like a five-year-old Australian kid who pulled up beside us in the waves and he was so good at five She's years ripping old. It. And I realized we were so bad. It would never really amount to any kind of surfing skills. It's like growing up with it though. It's like playing hockey all your life compared to someone who tries to learn hockey like later in life. You're like, you're never going to get that ingrained feel for the puck or whatever like it's just you just can't once you're a kid right no you're so right yeah no that that was a level of natural talent that i realized we'll never have it's fun though i mean we just kind of bobbed around in that station wagon like just causing havoc drinking the goon wine like that goon wine was just atrocious eh 
It was, it was. But hey, it was a lot of fun. And we were, you know, they were 20 years old, no fear. Like we just, let's say, the group of four Ripped of us. And, it. You know, we were led by you, Danny, with a, you were the ultimate Mr. No Fear. Often going by, uh, you know, your nickname Maverick and uh, <laughs> leading us into lots of like curious and unusual situations, but we always had a lot of fun. Oh, that's good. Sorry, kind of you say, Raj. So that's before. So that's a good, uh, good level set. Uh, traveling. Uh, happy-go-lucky dude and then during maybe you could speak about uh, the during process like where you were when you found out about my injury um, and then maybe when you came to visit me I think in October when did you come visit me Raj September okay September yeah maybe you just speak to that that'd be helpful yeah <clears throat> so that was uh, I was obviously not quite as happy of memories um, <laughs> Unique's uh, unique day when hearing about uh, when I heard about um, your accident and or, or your brain injury and sort of what had happened. Uh, Tessa, my wife, and I were in uh, the Yukon territories in Canada, um, and we were actually uh, at the Arctic Circle, and it was uh, summer solstice, so there was a number oh, of cool. like, celebrations that were happening that day mm -hmm. and we were actually at uh, this like festival and I remember being in the uh, sort of it was like a kind of community hall conference area where they were holding this uh, summer solstice festival a lot of the uh, like First Nations groups up there were doing like um, a lot of um, uh, ceremonial uh, and spiritual things they do on that day and then got a phone call um, from my brother who actually uh, had heard from one of his friends who was ultimately friends with your roommate at the time about what had happened. Uh, and it was very upsetting, tragic news just floored me. Um, and we then, we were leaving the next day. And so kind of the next 24 hours were this awkward holding pattern uh, up in the Yukon where we weren't really sure what to do. We kind of just went and sort of went back to our room and then tried to like call people and let them know and understand what was happening. But generally just, I don't know, any types of things that got happened, especially um, serious medical issues. I, like the most challenging thing is just trying to understand the information uh, because it comes in bits and pieces and it's, it's not intentional that it comes in bits and pieces, but that's just really how your family was also receiving it. And they're trying to understand what to share and let people know, but also having to deal with this firsthand. Yeah. So, Oh, it was really challenging and it was like that for um it really kind of went along like that for probably two months um until about mid-august you know the everyone was just so ups, upset and hurt and sad and wanting to support you and support your family uh and it, it was hard to know what to do and there wasn't a right answer and there was i say there was like your conditions were changing all the time it looked very uh, very dire. A lot of times, it sounded like uh, number of circumstances. Yeah. I had that. Uh, Rod, thought, you uh, mentioned um, you mentioned that you initially wanted to come out and visit me right away, right? But the, your your wife uh, Tess spoke to you and maybe talked some sense in you as to what when you should come out and visit me. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that is right. Actually, so this would have happened in June, and so yeah, my first and you were so we were then back in Vancouver. You were in London. Um, and my first instinct was like, oh, I have to go to London uh, and I have to be there for my friend. And I was gonna, I was trying to plan this ridiculous, like basically go for like three or four days or whatever it was just to be there. Um, yeah. Cause it, it felt like that was the right thing to do. 
Uh, and one of the things my wife uh, questioned or like asked is like kind of the, the why are you doing this? Like, are you really doing this for Danny or is this just more, are you doing this for yourself? Because you, you feel like you need to do this and, and it'll make you feel better about this situation if you went and did something like a, a big like that. And it really did give me pause to reflect because at the time you were either in a coma or kind of just coming in and out of a coma. So there was really yeah. no, no not a lot going. of opportunity to be there for you. Um, There's an opportunity to be there for your family, but they did have support as well and stuff um, with some people there. And so it did give me pause. And so it, it switched my focus into how I supported. And it was more about then supporting from Vancouver with lots of, messages and memories and notes to your parents um to try and give them lots of strength and encouragement and then i ultimately encouraged me to sort of hold off and and then hopefully make a trip at a at a different time um which i really happy I did and it made me really reflect on kind of you know when you you think about your actions or what you're trying to do in those moments just taking that pause and questioning like hey what are we what are we ultimately trying to achieve out of this and is that the best thing right now or is there an opportunity where it's okay not to be there in person and and um just accept that like this is the position you have to support from right now yeah fair enough man that's uh that makes sense now you came out to visit me in september i believe you said yeah it was september 2014 so if you could just talk people through like how that went down like how was i when you saw me i mean <laughs> obviously looked a little crunked, but maybe just kind of walk me through like when you first saw me and like what you were expecting versus what you saw versus how I was. Paint some context if you could. Yeah, so it's probably, I, th I think it was probably about a month prior to that, that I feel like your condition stabilized enough that you moved out of that position or um, that you were in where- Yeah, I see you. It, it was really unknown, like the, the first, you know, six weeks or, or more, maybe eight weeks. It was yeah. like, felt like Dan could die at any moment. Um, and so at some point in August, your parents did share an update and some news that suggested that, hey, like there's no certainty on the road ahead or kind of the the like long-term outlooks and stuff, but there's a level of stability now, which we can all breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief for at least the, uh, the interim. And so at that time, that's when I sort of then reconsidered the, okay, if with that consideration and, and starting to hear some of your updates, now it feels like a more appropriate time to come visit and actually then do it for what, what feels like now the right reasons. And so um, I then had reached out to your parents and uh, kind of suggested to them like, hey, it's, this is what I'd like to do. Like it feels like <clears throat> now's a more appropriate time, those kind of things. And so I came out uh, for 10 days um, to see you. And uh, your roommate at the time, Mark, was an incredible support to the family and support to you. And so um, with his uh, help, I landed, uh, dropped my stuff off at your old place. And then uh, he took me over to the hospital to see you that first day. And uh, going in and seeing you that first day was definitely um, uh, quite a heavy moment. Um, because you think it's like, this is your best friend and you go in and you don't know if they're gonna remember who you are, remember your name, um, you know, any of the memories you have together. Like, so 
and that I was very nervous actually like walking that room I remember having like a full body sweat like just <laughs> as I came around the corner because I was like oh my god like just what I just the unknown and 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 not and dealing with a situation like that and so um you you didn't you didn't totally forget who I who I was <laughs> Dan which that's good that's good yeah. I totally forgot yeah. breathed a huge sigh of relief um and uh it took a little bit but it but then like uh we were able to kind of it, it was able to sort of find a, a a peace and a comfort but in terms of visiting you those first few days like it was it was it was a lot to take in and and try and comprehend like a you remember your condition at the time was uh talking at this stage um you were but very sparsely um it wasn't um it wasn't always clear communication um like the the, yeah. the words there were words being used but it wasn't clear like always the intentions there was a lot of uh you needed a lot of uh, cues in order to either like uh understand the conversation we're having or um like i just say a lot of like either visual cues or cues of like hey like dan it's andrew like remember i'm here to visit you from vancouver like those kind of things uh, it's very <laughs> difficult to uh hold your um to hold attention. like uh your attention and like um your like a visual connection um you you at the time were your eye, your eyesight was would often like look in a different direction and kind of in a bit of a blank stare and you would hold conversation still or, or like be talking or conversing but you like it was hard to understand where your head was there you know your mind a little bit um it's a mess yeah so it was that was pretty tough <laughs> to witness um i think if you remember too like your leg at the time was uh in a very firm brace and you, and you couldn't extend it like it had a I'm trying to remember yeah, it's splint, splint had more of that that was pretty horrific actually i was talking about that last time um i was in a splint to try and uh straighten out the leg it was uh stuck in an angle for a while so i couldn't actually walk i think it was in a wheelchair at the stage or was i even out of the bed at all Raj? uh we would good question when we would go downstairs to the coffee shop the wheelchair wheelchair yeah wheelchair i think it was like quite an effort to get in the wheelchair from the bed but like the first couple of days yeah it was a significant effort to go from wheelchair to bed yeah yeah so essentially it was pretty pretty rough it, it was very rough yeah and it, and it wasn't even, it wasn't, so the, the give you a sense of the totality of that, of those moments is like, obviously sort of your situation and your health was the primary concern and very challenging, but it's also the environment you're in there. So you were in a section of Charing Cross Hospital that was, you know, four other people with traumatic brain injuries. And, and like, I remember there was, um, like another as your parents were there and then there's another set of parents who were kind of similar in age to your parents and I, I never saw their son but their son's story was something similar where this guy was like young guy in his you know a guy in his young 20s he was like a star athlete like all these kind of qualities of someone who just you know like they described someone who lives a very happy healthy life yeah. uh and he was out at the track one day something happened where and then he had a traumatic brain injury and he was 
in the position where you had been about a, a few months before where he was in very dire straits, moving in and out of a coma. His parents yeah. were, they might've been Scottish or something, but they were down in London. They didn't live there. And just, I, I saw them destroyed. And it was, and I then could see even more what your parents had gone through in the last three months. So it was a, it, it, was, it was a heavy environment. Um, yeah, it sounds like it was pretty rough. Like I, obviously I, I lived the experience. I didn't, uh, I can't really uh, appreciate how difficult it was for my parents or friends like you to come down and see me in that state. I was just kind of, well, I don't really, I have fleeting memories of this whole experience and then kind of various parts of it and feeling the discomfort and frustration. I think frustration was a big one for me. I remember getting, uh, not being able to talk after I got the tube, uh, the tracheotomy removed I couldn't talk for a few days and the amount of frustration mm -hmm. that just like was surging through my body was just like I was going to boil and explode like I just couldn't handle it like it was pretty nuts so it's like a very big um experience and I mean you, you you painted a pretty good picture of like how things were when you saw me I remember going down to the coffee shop there and we grabbed like a scratch and wind or something Roger remember that yeah, we did actually. I forgot about early that. days, like going for a bit of a rep, like out of the, off the ward, like down to the coffee shop beneath. It was uh, a good little break from normal throes of life in the ward. Like it's quite um, a tough experience, like for everyone, like the family, friends. Like it's quite a draining environment that you're in, right? Yeah, it was. But so I was there for ten days. Um, came and saw you every day. You usually come. We usually used to hang out kind of um, early to mid-afternoon. Like it'd be probably like two to four o'clock or, you know, two to five or something like that. Um, yeah. And uh, it actually, so as uh, heavy and as challenging as it was, um, it actually was pretty cool though too because uh, you made some uh, very clear progress. Uh, in in your recovery even in those 10 days and so um it was pretty fun to watch as you uh you know i said the first couple of days pretty pretty rough but then <laughs> we started to started there started to be a lot more uh, motivation from you to, to like be doing a bit more and so your voice started to come back we did more coffee visits and you're getting more much more comfortable with that and um starting to see like uh like cognitively um some real things coming back and, and starting to see some real like danisms coming through again like yeah, i remember yeah. one morning i came back in and you're like this place is a crazy place at night raj and i was like what are you talking about and you're starting to tell these stories about uh how like the the other patients yeah, are going off and yeah jamming the hut and stuff and um Within the context, it was uh, there was a level of, of, of Dan uh, kind of humor or uh, perspective on on sharing those things, uh, and yeah. so those are really bright moments. And actually, you you made so much progress that um, we and we got comfortable enough with the wheelchair. We actually made a trip off campus, uh, and then at the end of the visit, at the end towards the end of my visit, you actually transferred from uh, Charing Cross, where you're getting the acute care um to Wolfson, uh, yeah. Wolfson uh where it was more of a long-term yeah. and so for as uh 
you know, it's kind of my, my personal journey in that 10 days uh, visiting you seemed to um, go through quite an evolution uh, and to leave you in now a long-term care facility where you were entering like serious rehab programs to start walking again and things like that compared to the first day I arrived when I wasn't sure if you'd remember me. Uh, <laughs> felt like a cool pretty, pretty cool to see and pretty phenomenal um, personal experience. Oh, for sure, man. Well, I know your visit was really, really um, appreciated by me. It was nice to see you. And I remember, I remember explaining to you one night, like, this place is a crazy place at night. Cause I think we're being in like the, uh, so I used to have to take like a million pills. Like, I remember this is not um, something I recommend anyone do. So do not follow this advice. But I was like, one day I was like, you know what? I'm not taking these bloody pills anymore. Like it was an overnight thing, and like I just hid the pills in my in my in my bed. Waking up, and this nurse like, "What are you doing? You haven't taken your pills." I'm like, "Oh my god!" It was a job of the hut guy, who I, a bigger man who I nicknamed Job of the Hut, which is probably not appreciated, but it was uh, it's just a wild situation. Like people are screaming and crying, and like like what is happening here? Like this is a wild place to be, and like yeah. Anyways, it started to you can kind of laugh at it now, but like at the time it was like, this is just like, just not terrifying, but like pretty, pretty wild place. That trip was much appreciated, Raj. So I want to thank you for coming out, man. Like, um, and I think you saw some real progress when you were there, which is nice to, to see and to kind of share with you because I think that would be um, good to kind of see the levels of uh, improvement over the time was uh, pretty drastic and Moving into the Wolfson Center was uh, was a big step for me, and I think uh, a pretty formidable place in my rehab center. So then, we've done before, we've done during, maybe afterwards, Raj, could you maybe speak to a bit of afterwards? Obviously, um, I've been back to Vancouver the past couple of years. You've seen me kind of for short little snaps, those are snap snapshots of time over the course of the past couple of years. Would you just speak to that if you could for a little bit? Yeah. I, I mean, and that's been an incredible journey in itself. I um, I have been proud of you every day since uh, the day that you had your brain injury and how you fought back. And I, I think that showed up at every step of your life, uh, Danny, uh, and especially, you know, going through something like this. And so it's pretty amazing to watch just um, slow, consistent progress from you, uh, like coming out of that, that situation. And when you're, you know, somewhere else in a far, like maybe it's a little bit easier sometimes, I think, to see that progress. Um, like I think probably when for yourself or when you're in it, maybe it doesn't always feel like it's going as fast. And one thing that always struck me as very uh, in, like interesting about your brain injury was um, you, you developed a real level of awareness of uh the limitations that still existed in your life and it was through your recovery and um and you you, you still have that and it, it always it was always interesting to me like uh just that often would show up as frustrations to you and i it, it was i didn't expect that you would um have that awareness of what you what you couldn't do and but it's not just an awareness that you couldn't do it but knowing maybe that you, you had, did used to do it or what you were trying to do and not able to do it. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think that's something that actually helped motivate you a lot and really pushed you in your recovery because 
you knew things you were trying to do or wanted to do, even if you couldn't still do yeah. them or do them in the same way. Um, uh, Roger, so, can I ask you a question here? Yeah. Um, what what was the example that you're using um, for this? You said something that I can't do or at least you're able to do that I couldn't do now. Do you remember what it was? Um, it's a good question. Like two that come to mind. Uh, like one is uh, was the with the vision uh, and the double the vision. Vision's stuff. a real pain in the ass to play that much. Yeah, but it, but it's so interesting because like it just I say even when you were like very early stages in your recovery, so like and like your brain is really trying to heal and it's been through a lot. Like the just the way you would speak about the double vision, like showed a very um, uh, clear understanding of what the uh, sort of physical challenge was in that position and then also the impacts it had on you cognitively and uh, some of the like the like a, like effects it caused so that was uh, definitely one and then I'd say the other one was just I say like cognitively like you would you would quite um, like uh, clearly describe to me like cognitive limitations you could feel you're like, really? I'm, uh, like, I want to do this, but I, I, I can feel myself kind of like here. And, I, and I'm sorry, I don't have a clear example, but no, that's good, a, that was the thing that always struck me is I would have assumed that when you're in a position with those kind of cognitive challenges and as part of recovery, like you don't really know the limitation as much. You just kind of hit it, but you seem yeah. to have an awareness of like where the limitation stopped you versus where you were trying to, where you were, what you're trying to do or where you're trying to go at that time. So and I said, I, I, the way you spoke at the time, I, I really do think that showed up as a, a big motivator for you because you could always see that um, with limitations, sort of another, another step you were trying to do, go. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I think, um, I mean, now, like, life is so, I've, I've been living in this post traumatic brain injury world that, like, I can't say I really recall life before the injury, before now, but, like, but I guess. I'm more aware of myself and, and how I am compared to what I was before. Like, I think I'm pretty self-aware now, which is like a good thing. Um, I can tell when I'm. <laughs> You're definitely much more self-aware now. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't describe you as someone with high self-awareness before. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't either. But that was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of playing it fast. But, um... <laughs> Sorry? You were never self-conscious. You were <laughs> always like positive, obviously the best. So sometimes uh, you're like, ah, it might be a bit of low self-awareness there, but it's completely changed now. You're almost the exact opposite. It's probably one of the largest changes. Self-awareness, you think, yeah? I would definitely think so. I, I think it's because you've been forced to spend so much time focusing on um, those skill sets and really developing them as part of recovery. Yeah, that's good that you, that's interesting that you say that because I think that's something that I'm quite focused in like developing and, and kind of improving on is, is me and I'm kind of like a self-improvement junkie these days and doing a lot of like podcast listening and whatnot and I think self-awareness is something I really strive for and I'm trying to trying to reach and I think that uh it's good that that is something that kind of translates and and, and comes across and, and, to, and friends and whatnot. So that's interesting to say. But um, I guess for you, Raj, what, like you've watched, um, obviously from this one, this happened when you came out of Zimi in September, 
to a movie I saw you wanted to see last in August uh, for Peter and Jesse's wedding. Um, can you maybe speak to uh, maybe the change that you've seen or just how I am now compared to those early days? Like, is there any major differences you noticed or you've already spoken to that? I think, uh, I mean, there's the, the biggest thing that I uh, took as a learning experience from this is um, the amount of <clears throat> unknowns with uh, brain injuries. Um, and not yeah. just uh, the unknowns in that experience, but the unknowns just in medical profession. Uh, like the deeper you get into it, that is more consistent feedback you hear, where everyone's like, hey, here's what we understand today. <laughs> and it feels like it's just an iceberg where we only see the top and there's so much we don't know. So every experience will produce learnings that um, are, are, could be new. Uh, <clears throat> and, and, they, and they're often then unique too, and nobody's circumstance is the same. So that's something that I focused on the um, the time that healing takes. Like I, I still see continued progress uh, and consistent improvement uh, in your recovery, Danny. Uh, even yeah. now, um, it becomes less and less dramatic as you have recovered further. Obviously, um, because early on, say there's some pretty foundational moments like walking again and things like that that are. Um, you know, easier uh, milestones maybe to identify, but yeah. uh, I still every time uh, you know we do get together and I see you, I, I see sort of continued recovery and development. And so I think the the time associated with brain injury recovery is something that has been quite an eye opening experience for too. And most of us, I think, um, should we face any kind of uh, health challenge or have family members who face health cha health challenges. Uh, if they do recover, usually it's, you know, a long period might be in months, uh, maybe years, whereas brain injuries are clearly in years. Uh, and then, some. Yeah. and so I think that has been uh, this thing. So it's in that retrospect, I think the, the thing that maybe kind of makes you one of the most interesting people I know is your consistent evolution. I mean, everyone else may be evolving in the way that kind of naturally as people age, <laughs> the things that they do in their life and stuff, but your evolution is uh, significantly different uh, and on a, um, obviously a very unique path um, uh, because of um, your, your, what happened. And so um, it's always fascinating to try and understand, okay, uh, you know, how has Dan evolved a little bit more since I've last seen him? Yeah, I remember we were having a conversation in the drive up to Pete and Jess's wedding, Raj. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember we were talking about the experience and like how I am now versus how it was before. And I think I made a comment to you, you know, Raj, if we could go back in time and undo this whole injury from happening, but I would lose all the information and knowledge I know now, would I would I do that? And uh, and I told you, you know what, I don't think I would. Like I, I really value my self-awareness and the lens in which I see the world now, the perspective I have is so helpful and 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 different from maybe it was prior to this that like I don't think I would undo it given all the limitations I have now. But losing all that knowledge, I think like that knowledge that I've got is something that I've really earned. You know, my knees are scabbed, my I've I've got these scars that are that are well earned and, and something that I think like, I don't think I would just want to give that up. Um, which you said, you know, you should definitely drop them the podcast down. So I'm like, 
No, I should mention it now. Do you remember that conversation, Raj? I do. I remember it very clearly. So yeah, I think I like it's um surprised to hear you say that. Um, because obviously not the thing you expect to say, but I can uh very much appreciate um the value and your perspective on it. Yeah, I think that's something that was I mean you you mentioned like you should definitely mention that on the podcast. I'm like, okay, cool. So I was a bit shocked to hear myself say that myself, but like it is kind of well, it is true. Like I think that the perspective I now have is like my value prop, right? It's my, my differentiator. It's why I'm doing this podcast. Like the perspective I now see the world with has changed me. I'm hoping to kind of instill that in people a little bit. If you can tap into a little bit of my perspective, I think it can really help. We change the way you, you view your situation, your, your circumstance. And I think the whole point of this podcast is to kind of help people and like to help instill a, a mindset that's going to help you succeed and and strive for excellence and i think i i mean it's kind of my whole life these days is just kind of improving and, and and trying to chase that carrot and obviously then it's cool to hear you say that you've seen some progression over the years and, and every time i come back there's a change um that's very motivating for me to hear and like it makes me think that i'm doing the right thing and one foot in front of the other is working and i'm making progress and taking steps forward is it's all that I can really kind of do, right? It's one fun from the other. I think that's kind of a big thing to to focus in on and, and to really kind of drive home. So thank you for sharing that, Raj. My pleasure. Um anything you'd like to add or drop before we end the call for today? No, I um as I said, Danny, you uh, you make me incredibly proud to be your friend watching what you've gone through uh, and uh, part of your life and part of your family's life because uh, the McQueens are very resilient people <laughs> as they have taken on the world uh, in these challenges and done it all with a very brave face and a lot of smiles uh, and a lot of tears too. But uh, it's been uh, amazing to watch and so inspiring. Raj, thank you, man. That's very kind of you to say, man. I actually had uh very uh very touching to hear that. So thank you. That means a lot to me, man. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Raj. Uh great perspective on that. It's fun reliving some of those memories with you, man. Again, this is part one. We're going to part two in a couple of months. When I'm back in Vancouver. Uh obviously the move's gotta happen in between there. But I wanted to get this off just while this is still um, keep the momentum kind of going with this and at least at least this way I know where to continue on when I get back to Vancouver right I've got the second part to finish up also got to find a few interviews on the computer which have gone walkabout on me where the hell those went I have no idea but uh, you know let's just figure it out as we go yeah so the hack on today's episode is finish as you'd like to begin and for this I guess you could use the example of making your bed um uh, you know, I get up in the morning and then I make that bed, paving the way to go to bed in the evening. Another example could be, you know, I wear a, a wearable fitness tracker that needs a charge. So when I charge it, I always put it back on the charge so it's full next time I need to use it. You're always setting yourself up for success for the next at bat. And that kind of breaks down those barriers to entry. You know, a lot of this stuff is just building momentum. You know, we talked about momentum on a previous episode. And... 
you know, that can be a barrier to getting started. If you don't have the momentum to get going, if you have another barrier to get going, it can stop you from starting to begin with. So finish as you like to begin. Another example could be kitchen. Like every morning or every evening, I clean up the kitchen in a way that I want to find it in the morning. You know, I don't want to have a barrier to get my day started. I want to have done that. So I'm all ready to start in the morning. That's a really key thing for me. And it's something I've learned. You know, I know my parents have been preaching this for a while, but you know, I'm a, sometimes a bit slow learner of the stuff. So it's kind of nice to have that now. But finish as you'd like to begin. It will help you, you know, keep the momentum going and get you started on these things. All right, so we have the expression for this episode. And for this one, we're going to go to one that I've been using a lot lately as I've been kind of signaling and moving back to Vancouver. And that's, I got to see a man about a horse, which is kind of a way to signal that you're leaving by not giving the true intention of why you're leaving. So it's a bit of a cheeky way to say, I'm out of here. And it kind of just conceals your real intentions and like makes it, you know, makes it clear you're leaving, not really clear where you're going to or what you're doing. So I kind of like that expression. Now in this episode, we're also doing a highlighted review. This comes from username, a horse with no name. Uh, now when I saw this, I actually thought of my friend Nick Roberts, who I always tell him this song reminds me of him. Uh, after confirming with him, I'm pretty stoked to say that it was, so thanks Nick Roberts. Here's the review. Inspiring tales from my good friend Dan as he talks through battling back from the brink having suffered a freak brain injury. I thought I knew his story well, but I am continually amazed by his positivity and resilience as I hear more detail of everything he had to conquer and reconquer, physically, emotionally, and mentally. Whether you're going through anything even remotely challenging in life, or even if you're not, Dan will drop a nugget of wisdom every episode that will stick with you. Cheers, bud. If you want to get featured in the next episode, please drop a highlighter review, and you may get shouted out. Ciao. Alright, that's it for this episode. It's part one, yeah? So stay tuned for part two and be in Vancouver. A couple more interviews I want to share with you about this. Before you go, I got three quick things for you. The first is thank you. I'm not sure how you found out about this podcast, but I'm grateful for your time and your attention. Second is please share this podcast. You know, I'm pretty grassroots here. Three people would be ideal. Share the podcast with them and tell them why it's interesting and why it why would be value to them. And the third and probably most important is drop a highlighted review on Apple Podcasts. But yeah, that's what I got for you.